You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at the 20th and 21st episodes of Ultra Q. Uh, the first one is Primordial Amphibian Ragon, which is also known as Undersea Humanoid Ragon, Undersea Native Ragon, and Undersea Primitive Man Ragon. But I prefer Primordial Amphibian Ragon because, I don't know, I just do. You're just a traditionalist. I am. I must be. I, I think the actual translation right comes out. Yeah, the the translation doesn't really have anything to do with amphibian. So, so I think it's I think it's undersea native is the actual yeah. Genjin. I don't know what a Gen is. Genjin. Yeah, it's like it's it. Well, in in context with other things, it becomes native. But when you put it by itself, it comes up like primitive man. So right. it just depends on the translation you put it through. So mm, uh, funny, it bit, sounds uh, almost like Gaijin. I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Episode synopsis! An undersea volcano forms near the fishing waters off Iwane Island. The island is the home of Professor Ishii, a somewhat discredited undersea geologist who has predicted that Japan will sink under the ocean. Yuriko sees the lemonade side of the boring assignment because she happens to know Professor Ishii's younger sister, Fumiko. Jun and Ipe chopper her out first to photograph the volcano and then to visit Iwane Island. Jun stays with Yuriko on the island while Ipe leaves with the chopper. They encounter Professor Ishii trying to convince the village head to send a vessel out to the volcano to gather data. Ishii is worried that Iwane Island is going to sink soon. Since he's largely discredited and sending a boat is dangerous and expensive, the request is denied. One fishing captain went out anyway, and he's returned with a strange capsule-like object that got caught in his nets. Ishii borrows it for analysis. He checks it against a book, which I can only guess is entitled Tobin's Ancient Life Guide, and (laughs) finds a match. The object is the egg of an anthropomorphic amphibious life form called Ragon that lived 200 million years ago in the oceans at 5,000 meters of depth. Bonus fact... Ragons have the intelligence of gorillas, or higher. The discovery of the egg is of little interest to Ishii. He's more interested in what it proves. The volcano is rising from a depth of 1,000 meters. Ragons lived much deeper, at 5,000 meters. This leads to two inevitable conclusions. One, Iwane Island is going to sink. And two, Ishii doesn't understand what an amphibian is. We're just going to ignore that second one, because this story does. An adult Ragon comes ashore and starts terrorizing the villagers, and eventually traps our main characters in Ishe's remote home. They discover that music soothes the savage beast, and, just like the rest of us, radio announcers do the opposite. (laughs) Using a transistor radio, Jun leads the creature out to a cliff, where he is trapped and would no doubt have been killed if it weren't for the timely intervention of Ipe and the helicopter. No, wait, sorry. If it weren't for the timely intervention of an earthquake plunging Ragon off the cliff. The island is going to sink 
real soon now, and everyone is rushing to the harbor to escape via boat. Jun and Yuriko are still quite a ways away from the harbor, though. In the harbor, Ragon appears and menaces everyone, preventing them from getting to the boats. The egg hatches, and Fumigo realizes that the Ragon is just there to retrieve its baby. She hands it over, and the Ragon leaves. The islanders hop in the boats and escape without Jun and Yuriko, who are still quite a ways away from the harbor. As the island plunges into its final death throes, Jun and Yuriko would no doubt be killed if it weren't for one of the boats returning for the... No, wait, sorry. If it weren't for the timely intervention of Ipe and the helicopter. The end. So, what are your thoughts about uh, Primordial Amphibian Ragon? Um, once again, they are uh, menaced by uh, some form of uh, strange-looking aspic food. It could be some sort of uh, fruitcake, but it's mm-hmm. far too mm-hmm. gelatinous than that. Or for yes. that, but uh, eh. yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, an ad. That's, that's that's my take on the episode. Eh, you know what? I I, I um, there are some problems, and and we can get to the problems. I thought that this was gorgeous. Really. I thought the cinematographer cinematography looked really good on this. Oh, yeah, visually it was it was a it was a decent episode, yeah. I mean, it's very atmospheric. The the creature isn't up to creature of the Black Lagoon standards, but it's not it's not horrible by Ultra Q no. standards. And they its they eyes are in it. the same plane, yeah. Yes, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, the island itself. Uh, you know, it's very rare that, first off, I doubt that's really an island. Well, Japan is obviously is an island, <laughs> therefore, that is an island. But you know what I mean? I doubt very much that they shot that on a small island. But I like, yeah. I, I would like to go to that island. That looks like a hell of a nice island. <laughs> well, you can't because it sank. Yeah, it did sink. It sank. So <laughs> that, that's the problem. But, you know, just the forests and the, the, the quaint little harbor and the... Just all of it. It was like, gosh, this An is island just a, so beautiful, it had to be destroyed. It had to be. It had to be destroyed. <laughs> and so I um, I just like, I, I, I watched this. I actually watched this while my kid was getting his braces adjusted. And nice. uh, I, was, I was sitting out in the car watching it on an iPad in a bright, glaring sun. And it was, and even there, I'm like, you know, I, I can't quite see through the greasy fingerprints, but... I think this probably looks pretty good. So I came back and watched it on the big screen afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, this this really, I really like, whoever did this one just really hit the notes for me mm-hmm. visually. Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple problems. The little baby, <laughs> the little baby's not the most convincing effect they've ever done. No. And, uh, and when the adult picks it up and has to fumble with it a few times before crushing it in its hands <laughs> to pick it up, may have been a little heavy handed. Yeah, a literal definition of the word, but uh, yeah, it's hard to work in those suits. Yeah, yeah, that that was very clear in that shot. It's like I just I just have to pick this thing up, and my hands are smaller than the fingers of the suit. Therefore, I have to grab it with kind of like you're grabbing it below the the knuckle. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yep. like, ooh, ooh, pick it up. Yep. All right, I got it. We'll just we'll get out of this scene. Well, good. The director's exactly. Yeah, just keep yeah, it rolling. Maybe, keep maybe it rolling. they can wire it to my hand in the next scene so I don't drop it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was um, 
I did think that the the special effects miniatures were good, though. I did like that. The island sinking and and the volcanoes yeah. and all that stuff. It looked good. A- everything yeah. about this looked as good as anything we've seen on Ultra Q. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, even like I say, even the monster, although it's it's definitely derivative, um, it doesn't look like it doesn't quite look like it's falling apart. Does that make sense? I mean, even in the, you get some nice daylight shots of it, and it's like this doesn't look like it's been lashed together of eight other costumes. Yeah, I think this one is probably something they made custom. You know, like it's it's a well, I, there were two of them, weren't there? Male and female? No, no, those were both the same one. I I went back to check that myself because I was wondering, so did the one fall off the cliff die or did it just swim around to the harbor? <laughs> but they I'm going to think it breasts. swam around to the harbor. They both had breasts. Which, oh, okay. you know, again, the whole, I don't think you get amphibians thing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, um, may, I, I don't know, platypus, that's all I can think of. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's a monotreme, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so you say? Yeah, so I say, <laughs> so I say. Well, the other thing, well, while we're on the amphibian aspect of it, if it lives 5,000 meters down... It's either got a long yeah. commute every time it wants to breathe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it isn't an amphibian. <laughs> yeah, it's probably in, you know, closer to like a mud skipper where it can kind of hold its, quote, breath for a while uh, and, and survive in essentially a vacuum. 200 million years down there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a vacuum uh, as in uh, the air as opposed to its natural environment. Way under the and I mean, per- perhaps, perhaps the translation of amphibian is nowhere in this show. In other words, in Japanese, it may never say amphibian. It may be a reptile. Unfortunately, reptiles also breathe air. Right. Humanoid sea and, creature. There we go. Call yeah. That. So, you know, even the creature from the Black Lagoon had gills, hence mm-hmm. the name Gillman. And... <laughs> But he also could come up on the surface and and had to to do some do some breathing. So I uh, yeah yeah it it that part of it was a little dodgy. Now I did look. Ragon comes back in Ultraman. Ah, oh. um, and he's been irradiated and he's grown giant. Can't keep a good creature down. And he's got a, a he's got an atomic bomb stuck in one of his. Uh, gills or flaps. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Oh, so geez. Ultraman has to be real careful about uh, fighting him because if the bomb falls, boom, you know, <laughs> bad bad news happens. Or some kids will run off from it, off with it because it looks like a big golden egg or something. <laughs> yeah. I think in that episode, I believe there were actually some kids out there that had been stranded by an earthquake or something. Uh, in ah, that, there you go. In that particular episode. So it's, it is possible. Uh, <laughs> Ragon also comes back in Ultraman Ginga, and in that, I, I mention this uh, only because there is this weird thing about the Japanese really do like their themes. In Ginga, all the monsters in the universe have been compressed into spark dolls. It doesn't really matter what that means. But the spark dolls can be reanimated through merging with a person's dark soul. So they they find whatever it is about this person that's darker or 
and then that can latch on and reanimate these monsters so that they can terrorize. In that case, it's defeated by the person that becomes the creature wants to be an idol, Japanese idol, singer, Mm -hmm. basically. And so music is what calms the creature down. Oh. Ah. And then Ragon and Ragon's baby is back in Ultraman Orb. And the only way to calm the kid down is for someone to sing it a lullaby. So, uh, (laughs) and not all of them have breasts. Just going to say that right now. So some others are uh, more straight chested, shall we say. Right. So, uh, but in this one, every time we saw a Ragon, it did have those sort of breastlets. Sure. It's it's, it's a mommy. You can tell that's a mommy monster. Uh, anyway, there, there have been a couple other Ragon appearances in different shows, but those are the Ultraman uh, uh, appearances over the over the years. How do they know what they know about this creature? Oh, that that book they found was uh, quite good luck, wasn't it? Just I just happen to have that book on this. I'm a I'm an undersea geologist. Uh, I think he's a geologist. He's an because <laughs> that seemed to be what he was working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but he happens to have this book where he recognizes an egg, goes to the book, blah, blah, blah. There it is. Picture of the egg, drawing of the creature. Mm-hmm. Now, right, we have, you could have a book that had a drawing of a dinosaur and a drawing of a dinosaur egg. I mean, we have found some of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it's not inconceivable that in this universe, if they'd found a fossilized ragon and a fossilized ragon egg, they could have that in a book. Right, right. How do they know it lives at 5,000 meters? Oh, probably the uh, the strata that it was in was probably also had undersea creatures in it. That's my guess. Or they could tell it's fossilized mud or something like that, or I don't know. <laughs> And and how do they know it had an IQ of a gorilla or higher? Well, there you go. That's just a creative license on the author's part. They actually had uh, the intelligence of spaniels. Mm. You know, mm. Less than a gorilla, but, they, but still pretty smart. Pretty smart, all things considered. Uh, or or you not know. quite as smart as a raven. How about that? We, we, found, it, we found it with a fossilized IQ test. <laughs> yes, exactly. Taken. Some... Some prose that it had scribbled in some mud that also got fossilized. Mm. And we could tell that it wasn't very smart. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's not forming very good sentences here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Terrible <laughs> punctuation. <laughs> Sentence structure is an atrocity. Yep. And I think, you know, this is one of the things about these Ultra Qs and a lot of the, the Ultraman shows. It's just how the expert pulls this stuff out of thin air. Like, yeah, you know, this just happens to be bah, 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 bah. because if they explained it, then they would have to, like, I don't know, do some writing as opposed to whatever they're doing sometimes on the screen. And they only have like 20 minutes. They didn't need to do any of that. You found a strange. Let's let's ignore the yeah. sinking island and all that stuff. You find an egg like thing. There's a biologist living on the island. You take it to him. He's like, well, wow, this thing looks a lot like an egg. Then a creature comes ashore. Mm hmm. And like, you study huh, them, and you go, well, it's obviously under sea creature, and you know, 
they could have accomplished all the same stuff without having to give us the, oh, it uh, lives at 5,000 meters down, and it's an uh, intelligence gorilla, and it's uh, called this, and they just didn't need to do that. And it, it it's just a weird, it's, you know, this guy is discovering it for the first time. He could have named it. Fumiko could have named it. Okay, Fumiko, name the creature. Oh, uh, Ragon. Why? Because we're having ragu spaghetti sauce tonight, and uh, <laughs> he messed up our meal. I don't know. So that's that's the weird part about it. Well, that's one of two weird parts about it. The other one is, what do you think of Professor Ishii? Uh, I, I'm not sure, but they meet a number of uh, discredited scientists on this show. I think there's a lot of them. Mm. Well, there must have been a lot of them back then in Japan. Actually, I, what I think it is, is mm-hmm. they meet a lot of Brilliant scientists who are so much smarter than all the mainstream <laughs> plotting, right? I mean, oh, that's the yes, narrative here. Yes, of course, here. that's how it is. Yes, it has to be. It, it is the it's the narrative here. It's the maverick oh, scientist yeah. who knows yeah. better than everybody else. And uh, but what gets me about Ishii is one, he's a luddite. <laughs> My brother doesn't like phones. We don't have one. I know that's that was kind of weird. Oh well. And again, another one. They'd had. They could have had an earthquake. Could have knocked the phone line out. You know, lots of ways that he'd do that. But instead, he's a luddite. And so he, he the, the egg comes ashore, right? And he he borrows it because the <laughs> sea captain doesn't want to give it to him. He, he wants right. to sell it. Ishii's not interested in buying it, apparently. So he he borrows it. He takes it back, looks it up in the book. Yep, I was right. This is a ragon, 5,000 meters. Next thing we know, the egg has been stolen. Not by the ragon, but by the fisherman who decided he wanted it back, apparently. We never actually mm-hmm. see that. And what does Ishe say with this miraculous, amazing biological discovery of a thought extinct life form from the deep sea from 200 million years ago what does he say it doesn't matter doesn't matter i found out what i needed to know what i needed to know was that that thing came from 5000 down and the volcano was 1000 down and it the those two don't match ergo this island is sinking well it's a good run guess we're all going to die now right he makes he makes no effort to do anything about it, he, he, his sister's going to die. He's going to die. I've been proved right. I'm not, you know, how, how does that prove you right? I don't know. But he just completely, I don't know what notes they gave this guy. <laughs> he just, he he's completely has no, I don't know, sense of occasion here. I th- he's incredibly focused on his theories and, and whatnot. I think that's probably another reason why he's kind of... Uh, an outcast in the scientific community is that he's just too single-minded. You know, you ask him about lunch yeah. and he says, this has nothing to do with geology. I'm not interested in food. What? No, we're right. asking if you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. you know, if I were, if I were a <laughs> geologist and I found a, 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 a previously thought extinct life form, I, I'd be kind of interested in sticking with that for a while. Oh Yeah. You know that yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, that's I, a bigger I, discovery than <laughs> than you ever. Yeah, Japan's going to sink. Well, you know, he might be thinking, well, you know, if I make this discovery, then I'll be known as the guy who discovered the the uh, ancient thought, totally dead creature, as opposed to the one who predicted the sinking of our country. 
you know, I would not want that to eclipse my fame. <laughs> so I'll that go does down with the be, island. Yeah, exactly. That that kind of somehow that makes sense in that kind of strange mindset that a lot of these characters seem to have. And and the other part that bugs me about Ishe is so he's predicted a disaster that's going to sink Japan, mm-hmm. and all his colleagues laugh at him. Of course. Right. Okay. Because that's the narrative. Does he have nothing to back that up with? Well, you know, he's he's terrified to publish because then people will criticize him. You know, does he not have data? I mean, did he not make that conclusion based on data? He sounds like a crackpot. Mm-hmm. Right? He does not sound like a good scientist because he didn't publish his work and let people peer review it. And if they peer reviewed it, then, and he was proved right or wrong, but either way, this is not... Go live on an island and be a crackpot. Right? Exactly. That, that is not that is not the way of once again of a reason why he's on the island. Yeah. Because he doesn't like to be he doesn't like to have his theories shot down, so he runs away. Hmm. It's like, hmm, that doesn't work. Sorry. You then yeah. you know, that that uh, is uh you know, one more checkbox on your way to becoming crackpot scientist that nobody believes. So then the other question is, if the volcano is rising up from 1,000 meters below, right? but the creature is from 5,000 meters below, mm-hmm. does that mean the creature is 4,000 meters underneath the volcano? There's like I a big so. gap there? I think it's just creatures all the way down from the volcano. They're just standing okay. on top of one another. It has to be like that. Stacked so, up like and, cordwood. Oh, and so if it's a ragon that comes up, you know it came from 5,000 down. But if it's like a, a Gamora, it... it came up from 4,300 or something. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, you know, right. some sort of uh, uh, kaiju-based dendrochronology. I don't know. <laughs> kaiju chronology. Okay, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. 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 Yes. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really kind of enjoyed this, but I didn't. I wasn't like overwhelmed by it, but at the same time, like I, I, it's pretty, it, it's just disjointed in, in that weird way of like, why do we have this whole subplot of the island sinking? Why do we need that? Yeah. It it failed to hook me in and and actually get me invested in anything. Yeah. You know, my thought at the end of this was, oh, your island sank, but there's a new volcano you can go, uh, populate. Yeah. You'll be able to eh. you'll be able to go fishing off there pretty soon. So that's, exactly, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and if you think I don't have a lot for this one, you got yeah. anything else on this episode? No, not really. Okay, well then we should take a look at the next episode. Which, okay, I um space directive M seven seventy four or M seven seventy four. Uh, no, not seven three seven seven three. It's seven seventy four. Space directive seven seven four. M seven seven four. Episode synopsis: Yuriko, Jun, and Ipe are returning to Tokyo on a cruise ship. Yuriko, unlucky at cards, goes out on deck to get some fresh air. She finds a child's doll, sees a shooting star, and the doll talks to her. I am Zemi from the planet Rupin. Warning, the monster Bostang has come to Earth. Terrified, Yuriko tosses the doll overboard. Jun and Ipe don't believe her. Next day, back in Tokyo, Jun and Ipe are flying the plane. When the plane is taken over, the plane flies itself back to the airfield. 
When it arrives, no one is aboard. June and Ipe are lost somewhere when they see a lone building in the middle of nowhere. The building is actually a quite stylish cafe with questionable foot traffic placement. There are also no customers or staff. Only a jukebox that plays an interactive two-way message for June and Ipe. I am Zemi from the planet Rupin. Warning! The monster Bostang has come to Earth. June is, for once, skeptical. <laughs> Their plane <laughs> taken over remotely, them deposited without their awareness in the middle of nowhere, a stylish cafe in the middle of nowhere, and a jukebox that can talk with them, claiming to be an alien and warning them of a monster. None of that's good enough. We need to meet in person. Okay, Zemi says, meet me at the library tomorrow. While this is happening, the undersea egg that arrived from space hatches, and out pops Bostang, a manta ray-like creature, which destroys an oil tanker. They meet, and she now goes by the name Kiyomi. Well, good enough for me, says June. What can we do about this monster? They tell the Navy, who don't believe it. But they let the gang, along with Kiyomi, go out on one of their naval ships, where they find the creature. They're just about to attack when Kiyomi lets them know their weaponry isn't good enough. And their only hope is to run silent and hope it goes away. <laughs> Later, a cruise ship comes near and it too is ordered to stop and wait. Hours pass and finally Bostang surfaces again and heads towards the cruise ship. Rather than see the 500 passengers killed, the naval vessel powers up to distract Bostang and then attacks it. In the nick of time, jet fighters arrive and make short work of the monster. Later, Kiyomi explains that her mission is done and now she will remain on Earth and live as an Earth person. She reveals that there are many such aliens living undetected on Earth. Perhaps even the person sitting next to you. The end! Yeah, I asked That's... my cat who was sitting next to me if, if they were from Rupert and uh, I just got a blank look, so I'm going to say that's a no. Were they wearing the sandals? I, no, they that's weren't. the so giveaway. There you go. Yeah, so sandals any place, any time. They are yeah. from planet Alien. Rupert. Well, I'm not sure. Rupert. I'm not sure that means they're from that particular planet. It just means that they're aliens that have come to Earth. I don't mm, know. Okay. Not 100% sure that that's all all from the same same thing. Ah, boy, you know, it's the last episode. I liked bits of it. And bits of it had, you know, there were interesting things going on there. And it was visually nice. And it just never quite fired on all cylinders. Yep. This one's kind of like that, too, except yep. it's even got fewer cylinders going. <laughs> yep. This was a, an, an interesting uh, inadvertent pairing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not, uh, not a lot of meat to this one. I mean, obviously, there could be quite a bit. Uh, this could be the, you know, the first half of a good two-parter. You know, we could investigate the aliens that are living amongst us or maybe there was another Bostang or yeah where did they come from you know that sort of stuff and and you know the system that Zemi or uh or um what's her name Kiyomi uh Kiyomi Kiyomi yeah uh uses to warn earth about a monster what a what a fantastic system I'll put a doll on a cruise ship and yeah. then Yuriko will pick it up and I'll say, hey, I'm Zemi from the planet Rupin. Warning, there's a monster on Earth. And what am I supposed to do about that? 
Beware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's something bad out there. Well, how do you kill it? There's something bad out there. Not out there, yeah. My name is Talking Tina, and you need to kill the monster. <laughs> you know, exactly. Just... Thank you very much, Tina. You're a great help. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so she, you know, chucks it overboard because, as you do when a doll talks to you. <laughs> you think that from, from her planet? experience in the last year of her life, maybe mm-hmm. that something like that happens. It's like you know, okay, get the reporter pad out and start taking notes look in the last episode she the 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 editor takes a phone call like, oh oh is it and yuriko's ears pop up and like oh mm-hmm. it's a scoop boss give me the one and and he's like okay you're the you're the hungry reporter waiting for this story here you go under sea volcano no oh, boring but <laughs> but she goes and does it right here <clears throat> not, not only does she fling her source overboard <laughs> yeah then when she goes back to June and Ipe, she's absolutely convinced it was real. Right? I mean, she's not like, strangest thing happened mm-hmm. to me. She's like, no, no, there's a, there's a monster and a spaceship and stuff. And they're like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Right. Why are they not believing her? I don't understand that. Again, they've been through enough stuff. Yeah. Even to, like, right last week. <laughs> that you think that they would take Maybe we little... missed an episode where their memories have been wiped. Hmm. <laughs> that could be somebody asked him so how's goro doing and they go what are you talking about i have no Who? idea we, we, yeah what about goro i mean goro or goro i mean you know I exactly uh, so then plan a didn't work a doll on a cruise ship mm-hmm boy plan b plan b we take over an airplane <laughs> dematerialize the pilot and co-pilot land, land the plane, plane on a remote somewhere else Deposit the two guys in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Also deposit a cafe in the middle of nowhere. I would, I would have been much happier if it had been a house. You know, when we yeah. see it, it's like, oh, remote house in the woods or in the rocks or whatever. But then they get there and they walk in and it's this cafe. You're like, why is there a cafe? Is this a TARDIS? <laughs> you know? It's like, well, why is this thing in the middle of here? It's like, that makes yeah. no sense at all. Except that apparently Zemi is able to create a cafe in the middle of nowhere for the express purpose of having a jukebox inside of it mm-hmm. that plays a record that while the record is playing, <laughs> you can talk back and forth with. <laughs> I know. It's sad that no one told her about what a telephone was. Yes. Or the radio. or or, And you're like, so... Why the cafe? Why are, Why did you take them? Why did you... All of these questions, like, why is this the system that you, as a member of the Space Confederation, or whatever they called it, to help protect peace in the galaxy, why was this the system that you thought would be the best way to communicate with two goobers, frankly? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I like June. Don't get me wrong, he seems to be a competent guy, and I have some thoughts about that. But why not, I don't know, the, the, the prime minister? I don't know. I, it, I, maybe, maybe we haven't noticed, but we've been seeing is that those three have some sort of affinity to being very receptive to messages of this sort of thing. 
at the beginning of the series, Yuriko's a reporter and she goes for the story. So that is the in she needs. June is this yeah. science fiction writer on mm-hmm. the side. Right. And so he also, I mean, he's kind of got the, the almost the Fox Mulder kind of thing. Yeah. Going. So they don't need this weird in of the aliens coming to them. <laughs> Just like, and, and obviously the aliens went to them because how else did they get on the cruise line where those three were and then mm-hmm. take their plane the next day that clearly Zemi was trying to contact those three people. And that makes no sense at all. Yeah, it's the only number she had, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it beggars the mind is what the writer was thinking, except let, how do we kill some time or something? I, I, I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know. And, it, and it, the other part that's just as bad is, okay, I don't believe this. I don't know how you took over my plane. I don't know how we ended up here. I don't know how <clears throat> this cafe is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how you can make a record player talk back to me. I don't believe you're an alien. <laughs> June, really? You don't believe? That's like Fox Mulder saying, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is the guy who should be like, okay, talk to me. I, this is weird enough. This is yeah, weird you, enough. You got my attention now. <laughs> got my attention. You're trying to warn me about something, but I'm not buying this warning. Okay, they don't believe you're an alien. Okay, fine. I'll come to Earth and we can meet. I'll meet you at the library tomorrow. <laughs> what? Which is great. Which library? Where the hell are we? How no, long is it going to take said, to get yeah. there? Yeah, she did say the central library, but it's like, yeah, where are, what? They? are we in Tokyo? Are we outside of Tokyo, outside of Osaka? Are we in Japan still? Apparently, I'm guessing they were, in fact, in Japan and just, you know, were able to call an Uber to the cafe. Yeah, and, or maybe get... maybe they were actually uh, in the middle of, like, uh, Wendell Park or something like that. And yeah. They just, you know, as soon as they, they turned their back on the cafe, it it vanished. Yeah. It just, you know, now, so, so she shows up. Hi, I'm Zemi. Oh, okay. Now I believe you're an alien. Oh, yeah, because you look just like a uh, human. Everybody yeah. else. Oh, but you've got those sandals. The sandals. is we're, The sandals. We're Should be a dead tip-off. we got the sandals. So now that June is convinced, straight to a Navy captain on the shore. <laughs> like, okay, well, uh, Captain, we got this monsters out there. And it's like, well, I don't believe you. No, no, she's an alien, really. Are you really an alien? Yes. <laughs> okay, good enough for me. Sure I'm con- I'm not 100% convinced, but you guys could just hop on my naval vessel and we can Mm -hmm. go out to sea for a while. And, okay, all right, one, I think June must actually be in the PSIA, which is the Public Security Intelligence Agency in Japan. (laughs) That's their CIA, because it's the only way I can explain the kind of clout this guy has, right? I mean, he's done this before. Hmm. Just goes into places and says... Hey, you know, and I don't think it's because, did you read that book I wrote a while back? Uh, Strange Aliens from Planet Bulgar? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you, we should listen to you. Oh, yeah, not a crackpot at all. Yeah. I'm a pilot. Oh, you're a pilot. Okay. It's like automatically credible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. I don't, it's the only thing I can think of is that he must have some something right that we don't know about 
But fine, they get on the ship and they head out to sea. <laughs> they come along to the monster. Up to this point, no one has asked, word one, how can we fight the monster? Exactly. And, and I thought, oh, they're going to they're gonna shoot it with their guns. Okay, you know, hey, why not? I, I, the thing about Ultra Q is they don't have to have Ultraman in this show. So therefore, the humans have to be able to take care of it. Mm-hmm. We got a big old naval vessel with a bunch of big guns. Sure, why not? It's just an animal. Yep. You know, it's just Hopefully. an animal. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, no, don't do that. You'll just make it angry. <laughs> well, well, why didn't you tell us? Well, you didn't believe me. So before we left... <laughs> You see, we brought our shooting guns. We didn't bring our discouraging guns. So that's going to be a problem. I know. <laughs> I just... Oh, I... Okay. I, my first question would have been not, are you really an alien? My first question was, okay, what do we have to do to kill this thing if it exists? Yeah. What yeah, do I need? We've been through this drill before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we need to kill the big plant in Tokyo? Yeah, do we need... Okay. Do we need Guns, a strange uh, chemical. Do we need atomic weapons? Lasers, uh, yeah, lasers, uh, yeah. lightning bolts, cold heat. Uh, yeah, pesky kids. You know what do we have to throw at this thing? All, all, all that. Uh, all it's doing is it just seems to be stretching this out. And here is the funny part about this show, to me. Mm-hmm. When they get out there and they have to shut the engines down, and the creature, which looks like a big stingray with a beautiful little smiley face on it. Oh yeah, he's very happy. He's very happy. And he's out there and he kind of disappears beneath the water and he's he's hidden from them. And they have to sit there on the ship quietly for hours. Right. And then the cruise ship comes along and they're like, because it attacks sound. I don't think I mentioned that. And right. so they contact the, they telegraph the, the cruise ship and they say, turn off your engines, sit quiet. And now there's these two ships sitting out there for hours. And first off, I thought, are we going to have like 15 ships sitting here by the end of this <laughs> all, all quietly kind of this collecting, you know, collectively shutting down ship traffic in this area. But the weird part is it was surprisingly effective at that moment for me. It was the one part of the show that had a little bit of tension and a little bit of suspense. Yeah. Cause you weren't quite sure what was, what, you know, is this ploy going to work? Is it not, you know, or all of a sudden is a ship going to get snatched from the, uh, the bottom and pulled down to the, the it reminded depths, me or? of it reminded me of submarine warfare oh yeah yeah run movies silent run deep yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh just from the ship's perspective instead of the subs but right yeah it just kind of it's like all right they, it, it they took a long time to get here yeah before anybody had but, sonar or hydrophones yeah but now now that we're here you're finally getting a little bit of tension going okay Okay, I'm liking this. Suddenly the creature comes up and attacks the cruise ship. And they're like, all right, well, there's 500 people on there. We got to draw it away. All right, heroic action by the naval vessel. So they, they turn tail and run. So for once, heroic equates to turn tail and run. But, you know, they turn tail and run with their guns pointing back at the creature. Right, right. They're trying to, to draw to it off. Save the, to save the civilians. Yes. Good on you. Good on you. Yep. And... They, I think they do actually start shooting at it. Yeah, it's not terribly effective, though. No, it wasn't very effective, and you're like, mm, and then suddenly the jet planes fly in and blow yep. it up. Yeah, took the firepower in F-86 to blow it out of the sky, or blow it out of the water, from my bad. 
Yeah. Well, actually, it did jump up in the air when the when they hit it. <laughs> oh, good point. Yes, it did. They did it scare did it out of the water. It. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one, you know, monster defeated by technology. That's that works for me. Like I said, mm-hmm. I you know the the big thing I've always I love the fact King Kong is taken down by bullets. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the in the original film. I mean, sure, twas beauty that killed the beast, but but the fact is, it was the bullets uh, and the fall. I was <laughs> was say, the and it wasn't the multi-story fall. Hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> was he dead before he fell, or was he dying before he fell? But it was, you know, it, it it's not like Godzilla films where, you know, nothing works. They're they're immortal. Yeah. Shoot or, them all or, day, nothing happens. You know, Jurassic Park is even pretty bad about that. No, I, I'm thinking a if not an elephant gun, then a slightly modified elephant gun, and I, I think I think we could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty good at killing things. I'm not too concerned about that kind of thing. But so I like the fact that they do this, and you think, well, that was pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> yep, looks like a huh. stingray. It'll probably die like a stingray. Yep, look, it did. <laughs> All right. That's like, well, thank goodness the cruise liner wasn't the, the SS Steve Irving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. There's oh, foreshadowing too soon. for you. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> and then it gets weird. Yeah, just, well, yeah. I was going to say just a little, but no, the whole episode's been weird. But, yes, it gets more weird. It gets more weird when she's standing there going, no, you know, I, I'm not, my mission's over. I'm not going back to Rupin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to live here like a human. And Yurko's like, oh, that's great. A, a human, an earthling not born from earth. Wow. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, no, there's a bunch of them. Like mm-hmm. that person and that person and that person and that person and that person. I, I think everyone in the park. Mm-hmm. Yep. She was pointing all... at ev- well, they were only pointing at her shoe, at their shoes, because they yeah. were all wearing sandals. Yeah. And then she quite literally turns to the camera. Mm-hmm. Breaking that fourth and says, wall. Break that fourth wall and say, even the person sitting next to you. And then the episode ends. It's like, they did something like this in an earlier episode. And I can't remember which one it was, where they ended it with the idea that I don't know, your teachers or something. I, I cannot yeah, remember what no. it was. But it was it was one of those, be looking around you, because at any time, it could happen to you. And it feels like she's menacing us. And yet, she's supposed to be the good guy. Well, she wasn't much maybe. help. But I think, now the... I think the... Uh, I think Volstang was there to uh, kill the Zemi. And she was there to make sure the humans did their dirty work for him, so they can continue their slow but but very uh, inexorable takeover. Yeah, takeover of the planet. <laughs> yep. And she's got so much uh, uh, hubris that she doesn't mind telling them that we're already here. There's nothing you can do. Don't yeah. even bother trying to resist. We're just going to keep it's all coming. Done. Exactly. Many many aliens have come to help you out. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you will continue to serve us without question. And of course, you know, if that were the case, if that were the case, then why did they go to the elaborate bit with the doll and the cafe and June 
isn't going to buy this until you actually come to Earth. I mean, it, are they space vampires? Does somebody have to actually invite you to come to the library before they, they're allowed to arrive on Earth? <laughs> they actually thrive on drama. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, she could have eliminated all of this drama by telling them exactly how to kill Bostang and, you know, by simply calling somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's... Yeah. It, it was... <laughs> I don't know that I have anything else. Uh, no, you got me on this one. I'm done. <laughs> ideas in search of a plot is what I've got written down here for my notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is definitely an episode that I think the screenwriter wrote it. And then somehow everybody was supposed to like review it and approve it. They were on vacation that week. And he just handed it to the director and says, here, we're shooting this next. And he says, okay, let's go for it. And that's it. Just shoot it as written. No notes, no nothing. I remember, you know, different people write in different ways. They have different thought processes. And you Mm -hmm. try various different ones to find what works for you. And I remember you you telling Mm -hmm. me a long time ago, Here's one to try where you take the ideas and you put them on index cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you can use the index cards to kind of organize them into things. And like um, Scrivener, which is a a very popular writing application, uses an index card metaphor if you want to for for jotting ideas down and then assembling assembling them into a story. And I kind of feel like these were the... These were the uh, index cards that didn't get used in different stories. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've got we've got six index cards left over that we've not used. Here, shoot it. Yep. You know <laughs> exactly. Or hand it to six different writers and say, here, here, write a scene each, and we'll just film them sequentially. <laughs> and I got creepy cafe in the middle of nowhere. Okay, great. What do you got? Creepy doll on a cruise ship. Ooh, nice, nice. What about you? Devil Plane fish. taken over by remote control. Mm-hmm. In flight. Oh, this this is gonna be this is gonna be a killer. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Well, the writer of this uh, was very influential with all of the Ultraman everything's. Was uh, he Shozo Yuhara? I I gotta say that I do not delve into the credits much on these. I would love to know. I, the only way it means anything to me, particularly, I mean, unless you know, if it turns out to be Akira Kurosawa, <laughs> then you go, "Whoa, okay, that I got that one." But most of the rest of them, I'm gonna know, um, is just to compare that to other ones that they've written. Common uh, Rider, Common right? Rider Black. Common Rider J, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Common Rider J, yeah, that was just in his list of credits. As the writer, uh, yeah. Interesting. Common Rider J sucks. Well, <laughs> it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, I, okay. I, I don't care for that one. That's how I can, I can pin that one. That is not, you know, Common yeah, Rider, Common Rider Black. That's uh, a bunch of. Uh, yeah, well, see, so the the. Yeah, Common Rider J isn't a good story, but it's uh, directed by... See, I can come up with some. It's uh, Kaita Ememia. Yeah. 
that and he's awesome. He did uh he did Zaram and uh he did uh which if you want to see weird Japanese show, Zaram and Zaram too. I think I've those, watched some of that. The those are those are ones to get the real feel for how weird they can be. <laughs> um but uh uh and Common Rider ZO, which is quite good. Uh, but uh yeah yeah, he he's a he's a uh, influential, uh, noted director, which has nothing to do with this. But you know, if he'd mm-hmm. done any of these episodes, I would be fascinated to see that. It, kind of, you know, looking at this, uh, you know, the other episodes, you go, oh yeah, that one made no sense too. So that's just his style. Mm-hmm. I just remember Jay being Common Rider Jay being boring. It's the only Common Rider uh, that turns into a giant when fights giant monsters oh okay jay for jumbo oh <laughs> of course or jay for giant I, it was, <laughs> depends, you know it depends on where you come down on that whole gif gif thing mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> so um all right well next time we will be looking at two more episodes because i'm sure they're not gonna have enough uh content to fill out a uh, a full episode otherwise. And the yep. two episodes will be Metamorphosis and Fury of the South Sea. Ooh. Ooh. Both of those sound... Well, I hope they have potential. I thought these both had potential. <laughs> like, yes, really well, did. we've learned our lesson there, haven't we? We did. We did learn our lesson there. <laughs> um, gone, these guys. They're, they're really... Well, they can't all be gems. Hey. <laughs> no, no, and you know they can't all be the Spider Baron. They can't all be the oh, Spider no. Baron. Too bad, too. Yeah, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's been fun, <laughs> listeners. I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at Patreon.com/FusionPatrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol for our monthly patreon subscribers we're currently doing a special series on season two of babylon 5 there's over a decade of previous episodes available at fusionpatrol.com come join the conversation on our website or twitter you can also find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol our music is fight the future by amber wolf This has been a Lone Locust production.